Have you ever been watching your favorite TV program, maybe your football game or, or a cooking show, whatever it is you, you watch, and all of a sudden a commercial comes up and there are pictures of kids from around the world. Maybe you've got kids from Africa or, or Asia, maybe Eastern Europe or even Mexico, kids that are, are orphans. And this, this video runs and it really pulls on your heart because you understand these children are alone. The, the definition of an orphan biblically and in, in Webster's Dictionary is just that. It is to be alone. It's to be fatherless, parentless, to be abandoned. To be an orphan really is to be completely alone. And so we see those commercials and it really moves us. Uh, to put it in perspective for you today, uh, UNICEF or the United Nations tells us that there are 132 million orphans that they've identified worldwide. That's 132 million people. And so I began to look and see what that statistics looks like. There are 322 million people in the United States. If, if you look at 132 million orphans and, and you look at the population of the U.S. And, and put those together, that would mean one out of every three people is an orphan. One out of every three people does not have a family. I wanted to see what God had to say about orphans. This is a big deal. And he talks both in the Old and the New Testament about orphans and taking care of orphans. But as we began to study more deeply into this, I recognized that being an orphan is not just something that can happen in the physical, but it can also something be something that happens spiritually. And it's not just a kid in Africa that doesn't have parents. It can be a kid right here or an adult right here that doesn't have a father, a mother, a relationship, but more importantly, doesn't have a relationship with God. So in this series, we're going to unpack and uncover and discover what being a true orphan is, what being a spiritual orphan is, what that means. You're going to learn some things. I've learned some things that have really touched my heart. And you're really going to begin to understand who God really is and understand maybe in a deeper way than you ever have the father heart of God. So let's jump into this together. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, lift them up. Now, this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's Word. It's His truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned to you, if you were here last week, you heard the kind of the intro for this series, but uh, this semester, uh, part of my master's program was to write a thesis on uh, orphans, or well, I chose orphans, but taking it from a little bit of a different perspective, I want to understand what an orphan was about, what, what that meant, but looking at it from a biblical perspective, and then also beginning to understand what God was calling a, a spiritual orphan. See, there's two types of people. There are people that are physically orphaned, like those children we saw in the pictures. They don't have a father or mother. They're, they're alone. And that is the ultimate definition. If you take all the sub-definitions of being an orphan, the bottom line is it's being perfectly alone. I mean, you don't have anybody. And, and so that, that is ultimately what a, an orphan is, is the, the, the reality that there's no one there for you at all. And so I, looking through the context of that, through the research that Jamie and Pam and I did, and then coming over and looking at what God says about orphans, because the Bible actually talks over 48 times 
about orphans, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There was this constant uh, communication by God over and over again about taking care of widows and taking care of people that are orphans. And And it really made me think, why does God care? I mean, I know God cares, but why does he have this, these provisions throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament where he keeps reaching out to this group of people that don't have parents? These widows that don't have a husband, why? And here was the bottom line, and this is really the summary of last week, we are them. See, spiritually, what's happened is, you know, in an orphan situation, in a physical orphan situation, that means a child is left without parents. But what's interesting spiritually in our orphan situation with God is that he didn't leave us, we left him. When Adam and Eve in the garden decided they wanted to go do their own thing, they effectively separated themselves from their relationship with God. They said to God, in effect, we want to be emancipated from you. In other words, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it my way, and I don't really care about your rules. Anybody ever felt that way before? Everybody else is lying because only three people raised their hands. So I know some of y'all, right? Thank you. There's some more honesty happening now. People are... But the reality is, we've all walked away. And so we have chosen, actually our forefathers, Adam and Eve chose, but individually we have chosen since then, because I can look back at times in my life where I knew what God wanted me to do, and I said, I'm going to go do this, and kind of told him, y'all watch this. And so there's a spiritual separation, but it's not been by God's choice. It was by our choice. So as I began to go through and look in the Old Testament, particularly, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, eight times just in the book of Deuteronomy, which is in the Old Testament, God talks specifically about taking care of widows and orphans. And I want to read a couple of these scriptures to you today uh, just to give you some context. Deuteronomy 24 verse 19 says this. This is God giving a commandment to his people. Now understand, let me set this up. They were an agrarian society, right? Farms, ranches, they raise their food, etc. And so God is giving commandments to the people of how to take care of widows and orphans. Watch this. When you reap your harvest in the field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Now, let me explain this. They're out harvesting by hand, right? But imagine, just in our context, you've got a tractor, and that tractor has got implements that are helping load the corn. We'll just use corn as an easy example. And you're driving through this field, and you're loading corn, but some of the corn is falling out on the ground. Well, that's money, right? That's money falling on the ground. And what God is effectively saying to these farmers, hey, when you're doing that, and some of that falls on the ground, leave it. Leave it on the ground. Watch this. He says, leave it. For the stranger, the orphan, and the widow, watch this, that the Lord your God may bless you and all the works of your hands. Now, we know we need to take care of widows and orphans. The Bible says that. But notice what God is saying here. If you want to keep my blessing in your life, you're going to take care of them. That's a big deal. It wasn't that God just told us to do it. He said, if you want to be blessed, you'll do this. That makes sense. 
It's kind of like tithing. If you want God to bless you, you need to tithe. And God gives us these very simple things sometimes that explain things. But if he's saying to the farmers, the people of the culture, listen, it is your obligation to take care of these people. And here's the thought, why? Why does God keep making a big deal about this? And it's because when he sees an orphan in the physical, when he sees a widow in the physical, The Bible also talks about strangers. When he sees a stranger, he sees us. Those orphans remind him of the relationship of the separation between us and God. And so what you see in the Old Testament, these commands are God telling the people to take care of these people because they matter to him. And the reason they matter is because we are them. And God's all about restoring those relationships. Look at another example. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 28 through 29. At the end of every three years, bring all of the tithes, that year's produce, and store it in your towns so that the Levites, which are the priests, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows, the orphans, right? Who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. Watch this again. And so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. And this is repeated over and over. He gives the commandment and then the blessing. God cares. God cares about the stranger. God cares about the orphan. God cares about the widow. Because we are those people. I had a, one of our board members, Ed Jones, came up to me last Sunday when we were down touring this building. He said, I want to tell you about my father. Now, Ed and Barb, some of you may not know their history, but they had a farm up in uh, Illinois, 1,200 acres, big farm. And uh, Ed, when he was a young man, his father, they would be out harvesting and uh, there was one particular field that they would go through, and, and Ed was noticing there was a lot of waste. There was a lot of corn falling on the ground. There was, uh, the harvesting equipment wasn't adjusted right, and Ed said every time his dad would go down, there would be this one part of the pasture that the corn would just fall out, and, and it was just this waste. And he said, I kept going to my dad and saying, we're wasting all this. And dad said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Ed kept watching. It was driving him nuts. He went back to his dad and said, we got to fix this, son. Don't worry about it. What Ed's father had done was he had taken out of that farm 50 acres that he did not harvest or that he put the overflow on. And Ed said one day he went out and then he understood. There were cars from all over the region coming and they were going out and getting food from that property. Ed's father was feeding the widow's and the orphans, the people that were destitute and didn't have enough money for food, he was setting aside a portion of his pastor. This is in modern times, to feed those people. Here's how the story gets even better. Ed, talking to me this morning, he said, I forgot to tell you this part. He said, when my father died, they had the visitation at the, at the church for him. And he said, They opened the door for visitation at 3 o'clock. He said at 11 o'clock there were still people that couldn't get in. This is a farmer. He said on the day of my dad's funeral, he said it was 10 miles from the church, from the funeral home to the, the burial plot. 
He said they, they calculated the length, the number of cars that were in the line. It was two miles of cars. For a farmer who loved people. And as I was preparing this and Ed's sharing me these things, we're both standing out in the hall this morning just crying. And I said, Ed, you are your father's legacy. The, the blessing of your father has come down on you. Your father was sowing into your life. Not only was he feeding the fatherless and the homeless, he was taking care of these strangers, people he never knew. He was giving away money. 50 acres of corn is a lot of money, folks. And yet he cared more about what God thought about those hurting people than his pocketbook. I want to tell you that's an amazing testimony and that's truth. So we see God commanding us to take care of this group of people. I told you last week we're going to be watching videos. There's different folks in our congregation that have grown up. Some in foster care, some in an orphan situation, some that grew up with families, but it mirrored being an orphan. And we've got one of those videos that we're going to show you today. Becky, go ahead and run that video for us. My name is Becky Gay, and I am the face of an orphan. All right, Becky, tell me a little bit about growing up. What was it like for you growing up? I was in a Christian family. Mm -hmm. My mother worked full-time. My father worked full-time. And we had a maid. Her name was Willie May. Mm -hmm. I called her my second mama. Okay. She, she practically raised us. Okay. And she would do the spiritual side of raising us because I got lectures okay. all the time. <laughs> from your parents or from her? From her. Okay. Yeah, she she wanted us raised knowing right from wrong. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. And now, now, were your parents, um, was your dad home a lot? Was your mom home a lot? What was that dynamic like? Well, mama worked full time. She was a medical technologist. Okay. And... As I grew up, she would be gone most of the time because she was on call all the time. She would be called all hours of the night. My mm -hmm. father was gone all the time because, of course, he worked full time. Mm -hmm. But we did have Willie Mae there taking care of us and feeding us, and uh, she did all the house cleaning and laundry and everything. Okay. So, in effect, for, in many ways, she was the mom. She was the mom. She was the constant. Mm-hmm. Okay. How did, uh, what was your relationship like? with your dad? I've had a hard time really analyzing my father. I do know that he was adopted, that he was raised in a strict Catholic family, and he went to Catholic school, mm -hmm. raised by nuns and taught by nuns. They actually made him write with his right hand when he was left-handed. Okay. I do not know what happened to him sometime in his life to cause him to be have violent nightmares. What about with your mom? How was how that relationship? My mother, of course, worked full-time. When she came home after supper and everybody was settled down, she would escape into her novels and the books she wrote. Okay. We never, she never really spent any time with me, never talking, never anything. She left it up to the church, to Girl Scouts, the school, and even Willie May to raise us. So it affects, I mean, really, you were an orphan who had two parents. Right. So how do you think that's impacted you over the years? 
Well, I know that as a young adult, I looked for for love. <laughs> they would say, look for love in all the wrong places. Yeah. I did that. Yeah. I know that I got into trouble in my early 20s. Hmm. And I did not realize how difficult that was. It probably was on my family, but the way they treated me mm-hmm. was like I was an outcast and that I should have been punished for that mistake right. that I made. There was no mercy, there was no compassion, and they made it very obvious that I'd made a mistake and I should be punished. You know, it's uh, interesting in, in Becky's situation, even though she had both parents present, they were really absent. And uh, Becky mentioned uh, in the interview that her mom would come home and then go back into the back room and just read, just kind of escape and, and get away from the kids. At the time of her death, uh, when they were getting rid of everything in the house and kind of getting it all, all cleaned up, they, they went into her bedroom. She had 6,000 novels. 6,000 novels in her room that she had just spent her life in those books and not with the kids that were just outside the door. So being an orphan sometimes doesn't mean necessarily having grown up in an orphanage, even though that obviously is a practical. It can also be just being around people but not really connected with them. I thought that was amazing uh, as, as Becky was sharing her story. I also thought the comment was really interesting where she said she was looking for love in all the wrong places. Anybody ever done that? Because the reality is when we have that blank in our life, we're just looking for somebody to love us and we will about go anywhere. When we're looking for that, that, that hole in our life that really only God can feel, that, that relationship with God, but we will try to fill it with almost anybody or anything to try to fill that hole up. And that's just a reality. And, and yet we know that God's plan has always been, and listen to me, God's plan has always been adoption into his family. The New Testament talks about that where where we would be adopted, but there's a great, beautiful, wonderful example in the Old Testament that I'm going to share with you briefly today, and it comes out of the book of Ruth. And I'm going to give you homework this week, okay? When when you're in your Bible study time this week, there's a very short book in in the Old Testament, and it's called the book of Ruth. I want you to read it. But let me give you the backstory of the book of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. She was from uh, uh, the country of Moab. Moab. They were a people that were at war with the people of Israel for many, many years. Uh, One of the the features or traits of their culture is that they would uh, sacrifice their children. They were one of the societies that did child sacrifice. They were an evil people, an evil people. And, and, and Ruth had grown up in that culture, in that society, but she had married into a, a Hebrew family. She had married a Jewish husband, uh, but there was a problem. He died. And her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, her husband died, and they had a sister-in-law named Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, and her husband died. So all of a sudden, these, these three women, two of them, Orpah and, and Ruth, were Moabites. Both of them now have lost their husbands, and even their mother-in-law, Naomi, has lost her husband. So you have three widows. They've lost everything. They are actually, at this time, living in the land of Moab. So Naomi goes to her two daughters and says, I love you guys, but, but we've lost everything. I'm going to recommend that you stay here. And Orpah says, well, I'm going to stay here with these people. I'm going to stay with these Moabite people. 
But Naomi says, I'm going back to Bethlehem. I'm going back to Israel. And Ruth says something very interesting. She says, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to go with you. And actually what she says is this. Wherever you go, I will go. Your people will become my people and your God will become my God. And I want you to understand today, if you don't take anything else away from this service today, hear this. There will come a point or multiple points in your life where you have to choose to surrender your life to God or not. And that's where Ruth was. The obvious choice was stay here. These are your people. You know, these are your people. You've lost everything. Go back home. But no, what she does in this situation is she says, I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to trust God. And, and Naomi, I'm going to go with you. We're going to be two widows, but we're going to be two widows together. And so they go back to Bethlehem. But here's where the story gets interesting. When they go back to Bethlehem, remember what I told you about having the fields? There were certain things set aside for for people that were widows and orphans. Well, they go to a field that's owned by a distant relative of Naomi. And they go out and they begin to follow behind the people that are harvesting and picking up all the sheaves. Remember, we just talked about that. They, They are in this field going through picking up the leftovers to survive. Well, the owner of the field is a guy named Boaz. How'd you like that name, huh? I bet they called him Bo, you know? So Boaz is out and he sees Ruth, and apparently Ruth was very beautiful, and he sees Ruth, and, and a love story happens. Birds start singing, and the next thing you know, they get married, right? And they get married, and, and, but that's not the coolest part of the story. Ruth is a Gentile. She's a widow. She's from a a cruel people. Now she's out here picking up grain, and she meets this man who who Boaz, he's a wealthy landowner, and and he's an Israelite, obviously, and, and she, by marriage, comes into this family. Watch what happens. Her great grandson is King David. If you go to the book of Matthew, it lists Jesus' genealogy. Ruth is in Jesus' genealogy. He's her great, 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 whatever grandmother. This Moabite Gentile, because of her submission to God's plan, actually ends up in Jesus' family. That's amazing to me. See, we, we think of Jesus and we think of the amazing person that he is, but if you look at Jesus' bloodline, there's a whole lot of people like us. There's King David, who was a murderer and adulterer. Another one of uh, David's or Jesus' female relatives was Rahab. She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. And she was also a Gentile that was adopted into God's family. And over and over, there's Tamar, there's Bathsheba. You see all these people, both male and female, in Jesus' bloodline who were messed up folks. Anybody in here know anybody messed up? Don't point. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this ought to make you jump up and down. Jesus didn't come from this beautiful bloodline of people that were perfect. Jesus, God's son, was born into a family of broken people, but watch this, who submitted to God's plan. 
In every one of those cases, those people laid their brokenness down and were willing to come to God where they were. Bathsheba, Tamar, David, and all the others that were willing to surrender their lives to God. And I want to tell you something. That's what we have to do. Give you an interesting fact that we uncovered in our research. This was out of the state of Arkansas. Watch this. Of all the people that are in an orphan situation, and this is current information, in the state of Arkansas that have the opportunity to be adopted, a family comes to them and says, I know you're an orphan. We've gone through the state. The state said, if you're willing, you can come into our family. 7% of those kids will choose not to be adopted. Are you kidding me? You mean... They don't have a family. A family comes to them that's gone through the state. The state said, thumbs up. They're ready to go. And they go to the child and they, go to, they ask the child, are you, are you wanting to be adopted? Here's this family. They want to adopt you. They want to bring you in 7%. That's almost 10%. That's almost 1 out of 10. Says, I'd rather stay an orphan. A lot of that's driven by fear. Because see, maybe some of you, you, you can't fathom how that could happen. But if all you've ever known is abandonment and rejection and abuse, the thought of going into somewhere else where that could happen again, at least over here I know what I have. It may not be good, but I know what it is. Why, why do I tell you that? It's not to make you sad, even though it is sad. It's to open your eyes to something. How many of us do that with God? We just looked at a story where there's Orpah and there's Ruth. And Orpah says, I'm not going back there. I'd rather go back over here. Because it's comfortable. It may be bad, but it's comfortable. And we do that in our own lives with God. God, I would rather live with my pain than come to you. Or we say, I'm not good enough. Well, hopefully you feel a little better about yourself after hearing about Jesus' bloodline. Because hear me today. God uses broken people. You know why God uses broken people? Because God loves broken people. God loves you, regardless of your background, regardless of where you come from, regardless of what you did this morning. Regardless of what you did arguing with your wife on the way over here. <laughs> I know, some of y'all put your Jesus on when you got out of your car this morning. Some of y'all turned around to your kids this morning. Don't you act up in church, I'm going to kill you. Right? And then you get out of the car and it's like, ah. Jesus loves you. But I will kill you if you, you know what I'm saying, right? Put your, I call it putting your Jesus on. God knows all that. And he loves you. One of the things I love about our Bible is it doesn't pull any punches. It calls a spade a spade. And, and we see in this Bible that we have is an amazing love story of God reaching out to us right where we are, with all of our spots and everything. The reason we called this series Chosen is because God is choosing you on purpose. He doesn't care what you've done. He loves you. 
right where you are. And he will adopt you into his family. Because here's the thing. Some of us have the misnomer that we have to clean our lives up and then come to God. You know what I'm talking about? And God just wants you to come and then he'll clean you up. That's the way he works. And that's our God. We have nothing to offer him that's worth really anything. You can't earn his love. You can only receive his love. And that's the truth. And he has called you to be part of his family just because he loves you. Just because he loves you. Let's watch the rest of that video, Becky, your video. So you get a picture of an orphan as being somebody that, when I think of someone being really alone, that's an orphan. Uh And a lot of it also is the hopelessness that comes from that. And it sounds like you had people around, but you were really alone. I was. I remember feeling that, especially in my teenage years. And, of course, you've got raging hormones, and you want so desperately to be loved but you're not getting it, and it hurt at that time. Yeah. I remember it hurting badly. Right. How did, uh, as you became an adult, how do you think that impacted you in other relationships? Well, I really didn't know how to handle relationships because it was more about me, what I wanted Hmm. out of the relationship. It wasn't until I was a Christian that I realized that's, not the way it should be. Right. We know that God's plan in the Bible was adoption. We know that Jesus had to die so that we could be adopted into God's family. Tell us a little bit about what God did. How did he, how did he adopt you? When it, I was saved December 7, 1980, and it wasn't until 2010 that I decided to read the Bible. Wow. From cover to cover. Once I did that, it was an effortless change. It renewed my mind hmm. and it changed my heart. Okay. I no longer felt the loneliness. I no longer felt abandoned. I felt like I belonged. Wow. And it was through the Word of God. And I know I had no longer hurt because wow. of that. Wow. So you felt I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but you felt adopted at that point? Yes. So you came to Jesus. You were adopted into God's family in 1980, but you didn't really come to the understanding of that for 30 years. Right. Um, wow. And if I had known it earlier, if I had done that earlier, it's that if I, sh- I could have or should have done it earlier, Yeah. I would have felt better sooner. I, it changed my life to read the Word wow. because it told me who I was, mm-hmm. what I had, and the forgiveness and the love that was there. That's when God started speaking to me. Right. And as from that point to now, mm-hmm. I have drawn closer to God. I listen to him. I talk to him. It's We're friends. You know, one of the amazing things in Scripture to me is where Jesus actually said to the disciples, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Mm-hmm. He literally used that term, which to them meant alone abandoned because they were so upset that Jesus was leaving and he looked at him he said I'm not going to abandon you I'm not going to leave you as orphans I'm going to send you a comforter mm-hmm. and that is just so, so amazing that he's never going to leave us 
He's never going to leave us as orphans. He sent us somebody as a comforter, and it sounds like you've really come to understand that. Also, I have a new family. Mm-hmm. I have a loving, caring family. God brought me to this church mm-hmm. to give me that family and to serve Him. And that's why I'm here. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it was awesome. It really is true. Church is a family. A good church is a family. Now, here's the cool thing about that. We are dysfunctional, right? We put the fun in dysfunctional. But the reality is no church is perfect just because no family is perfect. But we learn to love each other and love each other through those things. And and, and that's what we do because God's plan is adoption and it's also to bring you into a church family. That's why the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves because we need each other. And there's so much in our culture that tells us you need to be alone. You need to be your own man or be your own woman or be independent. That's a lie, folks. We need each other because when you're out there by yourself, you're gonna get in trouble. But when there's a herd of you, A lot of good things can happen. Amen. I'm going to read this last scripture and then we'll close. And I hope you guys are learning something out of this series about how much God loves you. Ephesians 1 verse 5 says this. This is Paul talking to the church in the New Testament. Okay, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself Through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And watch this. And it gave him great pleasure. It gives God great pleasure to adopt us into his family. The day you come to him and surrender your life to him, that's what he's waiting for. He has great pleasure in adopting you into his family. Isn't that awesome? God looks at Wardell and goes, come on. He's excited about that. Jambalaya, all you can eat. (laughs) To Cajuns, that's like, I don't even know what. But that's what God's saying is it gives him great pleasure. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. So here's the thing. As you leave this place today, you need to recognize that God's called you into his family. He's chosen to adopt you. If you've not received that because you think you're imperfect, we've just given you a very brief list of people in the Bible that God chose that said yes. And it wasn't because they were perfect. It was because he's perfect. And he's giving everyone in this room that same opportunity. Not because you're perfect, but because he is. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to come together. Lord, thank you more than anything for loving us so much that that you're willing to adopt us into your family. Lord, the thing about adoption means that you choose, but you also give us a choice. We get to choose whether or not to receive the gift of adoption. So if you're here today and perhaps you've never received that gift You've maybe never felt like you were good enough or maybe you felt like you needed to to get better to receive that, that you needed to earn God's love. If today you want to make the decision to receive this gift of adoption, 
Just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. Pastor, that's me. Amen. Maybe you're a Christian and you've walked away and you've forgotten that God adopted you. You've been a rebel. You're part of his family, but you're off doing your own thing. Maybe today's the day that you rededicate your life. If that's you, just slip your hand up. Say, Pastor, it's me. Amen. I see those hands. Amen. Here's what I want to do. A couple people raise their hand. This is a big deal. If you raised your hand, just step out and come down here real quick. I'm going to pray with you. It's real quick. Amen. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. And I've seen many searching for It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. 
God is good, y'all. God is good. Choose. Choose to do things His way. Choose to follow Him. And watch what He'll do in your life. Amen. Let's all stand this morning. God is good. Man, I'm going to do a little happy jig. Y'all don't want to see that. I'm not going to do it. That'd that'd be scary. (laughs) Grab your neighbor's hand for me, please. Father, thank you for being good to us. Thank you for choosing us, Lord. Lord, we just uh, ask you today to, as we leave this place, that we'll recognize we're walking out into a world of hurting people that are lost and alone, that don't have a family. Father, I just ask you that you would help us to represent you out there, that, Father, we would introduce them to you, that, Lord, we would bring them here or to a place where they can come to know you, realize they have a family. They just don't know it yet. Father, help us to love people the way you do and see people the way you do. Lord, we just ask you that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us the strength and wisdom to love those around us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week, and we will see you next week. God's good. Let's get together one evening. Go down to the